0: Good morning. I'm Ann Schindler, and this is First Coast Connect. Today, what to do when the state clamps down on teaching African American history? Create your own curriculum. We talk to the creators of Black History lessons produced by and for local students. Later in the program, St. John's County Sheriff Rob Hardwick is here, and he's hiring. Plus, a very special performance by a husband and wife duo ahead of their Leap Day concert in Jacksonville. But first, on the last day of Black History Month, we're continuing to explore the lesser-known stories of Black history. Today, those stories are being curated by for the classroom by local Duval County students. I'm joined now by Regina Newkirk-Rucci, Director of Equity for the nonprofit 90 Forward. Hi, Regina. Good morning, Anne. How are you? Very good. Thanks for being here. I'm also joined by local high school student Zuri and her mom, Ariana Randolph. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, And to our listeners, did your education include Black history? Did it end with the civil rights movement? Do you think more recent events should be included? Join our conversation. Call us at 904-549-2937 or send an email to firstcoastconnect at wjct.org. You can also reach us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and X. Regina, it's not exactly an easy time to be introducing Black history lessons to Florida classrooms. Um, A little bit of a hot topic these days. It is. And
1: I think that it's important to talk about when, it, when topics are hot, that means there is an issue, there's a point to be discussed, and I think all viewpoints need to be included in that discussion. And at 904 forward, we're always excited to be at the table for that.
0: And so what made 904 forward want to tackle this particular controversy, this issue, and bring students into it?
1: I have to say,
0: uh,
1: as much as I would like to take credit for it, it didn't come from us. So as a part of our work, we sponsored trips to the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, and we took a group of students. And one of the things that we asked them to do was to create an exhibit that you would add to the collection in the museum that we saw. And so this is a museum that walks through uh, the transatlantic slave trade to the domestic slave trade to the Jim Crow era and the time of lynching to the civil rights movement to this period of mass incarceration. So, a real walk through history. And so, a cons- consistent remark was, why is this the first time we we're hearing about all of this? And so, the students themselves came up with the idea we would create a curriculum for middle school students because we think that's the age when you really should be learning about all of this information. And so we said, that seems like something we could do. So we wanted to make sure that students were driving that process, especially since that was an idea that was generated from students. And that's how we designed it.
0: Zuri, this was a trip that you were a participant in. That's a difficult place to visit, um, but an important one. Tell us a little bit about how you were selected to go on that trip and how you and your classmates and uh, colleagues came up with this idea.
2: Um, Well... I'm homeschooled, so the opportunity was offered to me through, um, uh, arts um after school program that I was in, and you know it was new to me because you know I'm home all the time, so I was like, you know, why not take the opportunity? It's educational and everything like that, and I was actually excited to go, and um, the trip was actually really good. Um, I enjoyed myself and I learned a lot, and we came up with it simply by saying that like, the a lot of the information that we were getting. Um, being out there was heavy and it's a lot to take in all at once. And so we were thinking, you know, it'd be a lot better if we had got like, you know, you get warnings or something like that. Or, you know, you had just learned some of it before getting to that point. So you were somewhat prepared. So that's kinda how we came up with it.
0: And a lot of what you saw there was was new to you or just sort of newly um in, in elaborated on, stuff that had not been familiar to you? It's
2: like, um, A lot of it I was like somewhat familiar on, but the the depth that they went in on a lot of the topics and um, situations, it was like a lot of that was new to me. I hadn't um, experienced it in that kind of
0: light in the way that they they, um, put it out there. And the goal for your curriculum that you helped create is to bring some of that information to kids as early as sixth grade. Um, I know that there's been a lot of conversation about when some of those things should be introduced to kids. And generally, there's a perception that some of that, uh, it might be too soon as a sixth grader. Talk a little bit about how you feel about when is the right age to hear some of these very difficult subjects.
2: I think that honestly, I don't know if you could really say if there's a right age or if there's a certain place to start, because if we're being honest, these kinds of situations, we, um, you know, as kids can be exposed to them early and then you have to have these talks and conversations really early in life or just depending on where you're growing up or whatever. It it really depends on that. It depends on how much exposure you have to those scenarios and situations. So there really isn't a perfect time. But I think that middle school is a good time when you're getting exposed to enough of American history to be exposed to certain points of black history.
0: And Ariana, um, as a mom, how did you in terms of homeschooling, how do you determine When is an appropriate time, especially when there's a lot of difficult subjects happening in the real world um, today? uh, How do you decide when is an appropriate time to talk about difficult subjects from the past? For us
3: as a family, so um, we have five children from seven, well, now seven to 17. And we do more so like a one-room approach to it. And really, if the little ones are in the room, Maybe they may they may or may not be engaged, but the goal there is they're hearing the words and the language in just terms of like basic structure speaking. If they have a question, then we'll go down that road. So oftentimes, one, if it's probable that they may be exposed to it, they need to know it. Second, if they question any part of it, now they're telling me I want. learn more. It really is just that simple. Oftentimes, I'm thinking in terms of solutions and what they may be impacted with that they may need to solve on their own. So it's not so much, hey, know this information. It's how do you know this information and how can it give you a solution if mommy and daddy isn't around? Because I need you to be able to think about it and then not just for us, but for your siblings and then your community. And I often tell them, you likely might be the leader in the room. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What do you do? What do you say? What don't you say? What information do you need to pull from your past
0: to help you move forward? And that's how we do it. Are some of these topics also things that you would rather introduce yourself than have them learn elsewhere? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, or th- it may be something that we may want
3: another family member of eldership to introduce but definitely somebody who's intimate enough to introduce it so it has impact because I recognize that oftentimes all the lessons won't come from us so I need them to get used to pulling lessons from people in the village and so that's important too but there is a balance but the initial lessons definitely start in the home
0: we're talking about a new curriculum created for students by students that focuses on black history and particularly more recent black history. Do you think more recent events should be included in teaching black history? Join our conversation. Give us a call at 904-549-2937 or send an email to first coast Connect at wjct.org. Um, Regina, it's probably worth reminding people about some of the lessons that are not being taught currently. Um, there've been some revisions to Florida's black history curriculum, um, and I'll, I'll leave it open to you. I mean, there's, there's things that I think people recognize that are not being taught, for instance, more recent history, like the, the violence that led up to black lives matter, um, that movement. Um, but also things, you know, that for instance, like Florida's role in certain things, the mm-hmm. Supreme court Brown versus board of education is taught, but not the fact that Florida lawmakers opposed it and passed a law opposing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Florida seceded from the Union during the Civil War. Um, They talk about people who were strong abolitionists of slavery, but they don't name the people who supported slavery. Mm -hmm. Why, Why are those omissions important? I think it's
1: for exactly the reason that the students had the reaction that they had when we went to the museum. We have to tell history accurately and in totality. That's how it makes sense where we are in this moment. That's how we can contextualize what has led us to the place where we are and fully understand it. And it is, to some degree, irresponsible of us as a society to not appropriately equip children with a full understanding. And that's one of the things that we wanted to do And one of the things that I think is most interesting about this curriculum is the students said, This is what we want to learn. And making sure that student voice is included in education is critical. Students aren't going to be engaged in a bunch of things that they have no interest in, that they don't have full understanding and context for if you can't put the pieces together. If we continue to dilute history, then it stops making sense and students can't really understand it to carry that forward to make better decisions and learn from what we've done in the past to prepare a better future for us
0: we've got a call wells todd uh wells we know your name well from being involved in uh the take em down movement good morning welcome to the program
4: good morning good morning to your your guests um I think one of the things we need to look at when we're talking about our history is what is the reason for it being censored? Um, I think that once people understand what has happened to African Americans in this country and the history of African Americans in this country, all people will better understand the current condition that exists in this country for African Americans. And better understand that the system that we live under, racism, has been embedded in all of our institutions. And that's something that I don't think a lot of white Americans understand. And I think it's high time that we start speaking about that. Um, so I, I just wanted to get that in. And uh, I want to say thank you to Nino Forward. Um, for making these trips to Montgomery. I've been on one myself. Um, and it's been very enlightening, and they must continue. So thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Wells. Uh, Zuri, I want to ask you about some of the lessons that you yourself wrote. I went through the curriculum last night um, ahead of this, and it really is very impressive. And you wrote some really exceptional histories. How did you choose the pieces that you wanted to write about, and how did you approach the way that you chose to tell those stories?
2: Well, as far as choosing the different pieces, we were given the objective to just go from the 80s up until um, the 2020s. And I think our minimum of articles was like three or four or something like that. And so I just chose, I I went through those different time periods and was like, what were some significant um, events that were going on um, in these different um, decades and periods? And um, I think I started in the 90s, and when I was, um, doing research in the 90s, there was, the 90s was a really a hot period, um, especially for, like, um, there was a lot of police brutality, um, a lot of just back and forth, um, and racial tension, coming from all different angles, um, aimed at the black community, and that was something that I really wanted to focus on, especially coming out of, it was 2022 when we were working on it, so coming out of the, um, 2021 and 2020 like George Floyd and everything that was going on there those were really hitting hard as far as just thinking that this is something that happened over 30 years ago and it still pertains to events that are going on today so that was one of the reasons why I picked um a lot of the events that were going on in the 90s and then moving forward I wanted to highlight some black success so I went um as far as to go like sports figures and things like that um for boys and girls anyone else, you know, who's interested in those things. And I really just wanted to highlight good and bad and how people see that.
0: I thought it was interesting that one of the people that you chose to profile, Colin Kaepernick, um, is really ostensibly excluded specifically from Florida's current curriculum, Mm -hmm. you know, permissions, um, insofar as it's seen as something that makes people feel bad or induces, um, people's discomfort when hearing about it or makes people feel like they're being blamed for something. And I'm curious um, how you chose to approach that story and why that one in particular was one that you want students to learn about.
2: Well, I think, as I was saying before, it was current. You know, it's something that people all can recognize. It was really popular when it happened, um, when he decided to kneel during the national anthem. And approaching that, I really just wanted to shed light on the fact that sometimes people forget that just because something makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean it shouldn't be talked about. And the thing about kids is that they tend not to be uncomfortable the majority of the time. They will ask questions, they will talk about things, even not knowing what they're about. And I think that it was good to introduce them to that because Growing up, he faced a lot of microaggressions. And looking at it from a child's perspective, these are things that they can relate to or these are things that they can recognize and say, you know, hey, or I know about that or I know someone who went through that or something like that. And even with him being a big sports figure, he was able to use his platform as a way to shed light and spread awareness. And I think that's important too when teaching a lesson that wherever you are, um and whenever things happen, that it's okay to let people know that you don't agree with something, even if they don't agree with your decision.
0: And Ariana, I wonder what you thought about the selections that Zuri made to focus on and also the way that she was able to contextualize some of the issues because um I think particularly like when she's writing about Los Angeles, um, talking about is that a riot, is that an uprising, you know, and some of the factors beyond just the Rodney King beating that contributed to it. So I was very
3: uh, proud that she picked the topics that she picked. They were not picked lightly. We went uh, in depth on the topics. And I shared, like when she said, this is the ones that I want to do, we were able to share our experience with those topics and where we were, how we felt, what we saw, how we experienced them. When it came to the the situations in Los Angeles and war use and workers, really for all of them, you know, we talk about being intentional with your words and knowing what a word means. And so I laid the facts out to her in terms of just the basics of words and say that now you have a responsibility to decide how you want to use these words because one thing that I talk to them about is controlling the narrative, your narrative, and not taking on someone else's. That's often a misrepresentation. So the final product for me, I thought, was very well done, very well articulated. And it was what for her or even the other children that we have. So because I have smaller children, I'm like, okay, this is something they can read and learn from. So I was well pleased.
0: Mm-hmm. We've got a call, Susan from Fruit Cove. Welcome to First Coast Connect.
1: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call.
5: Um, I just want to make a point when you were asking when is the appropriate time to talk about it. As as a Caucasian person, I think those conversations need to happen in our homes when the kids are young and small. Uh, I remember getting a magazine called Ebony. Because my kids needed to know a black culture. They needed to be aware. I looked and looked for a, uh, an African American pediatrician because that says these are people exalted and have worked hard, and you need to know all the different kinds of people. So I think those conversations need to happen in white homes. So
0: Thanks. That's my conversation. Thanks, Susan. I appreciate that. Regina.
1: And I want to add to that because I think it's also very important to understand that we had a multiracial group of students working on this curriculum because across races, everyone said Black history, this is American history. This is important to know. It is not something that is just for the Black community. It's something for all communities because it impacts us all and so I think while unfortunately our history is often dictated by who's telling the story as to which stories get told all stories have value and we recognize that and we want to make sure that more of our stories all of our stories are being shared and understood in the community and that goes across races
0: and this curriculum, I mean, we should talk a little bit about how people could access it if they wanted to. But I also wonder if you have any expectation that it will end up in public schools in Florida being taught. We we
1: really looked at what the laws were, the different ways that the curriculum could be used. Um, the curriculum can be used, for instance, in reading uh, class for reading text. So it meets standards as far as uh, literature standards. It could also be used as far as history and social studies. We certainly um, encourage teachers to a read the law and B make the best decisions for their classrooms. But this is also available beyond Florida. So one of the things that I also want to really emphasize is that we had, um, we had four students, three student writers, one student artist, and then we had a curriculum director and then an art director who were working with the students. Those six people are the people who get paid for the profits from this curriculum. So because we wanted, we required the students to work as professionals to deliver high-quality curricula that had rigor that would meet middle school standards, Uh, We wanted to treat them as professionals as well as to recognize the value of their work. And so those are for sale. They are for sale on our website, um, www.90forward.org. Under resources, you can purchase it directly there. You can also, if you're a teacher and you would prefer to have Google Slides, we do have um, an account on Teachers Pay Teachers where teachers can purchase it as well. So it's not just limited to Florida, obviously, We have a lot to talk about in this state regarding this topic, but we want this available everywhere because we think it's important for all people to know.
0: We have a comment. Tom on Facebook says it's important to also include Jim Crow lynching, redlining and segregation. It also needs to include black leaders other than the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. None of these were covered in my school education except for a passing reference to segregation as it related to the Rosa Parks story. Um, I think that's sort of common. Sorry, it's maybe not unusual that the lessons are somewhat superficial and uh, very often they're just taught during Black History Month.
2: Yeah, that's that's really often, actually. And talking about, um, you know, Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, those are people that everybody know because that's kind of the narrative that they want to push, you know, that, you know, especially what you know, they stood for at certain points in in their um, careers and things like that. But I think that's why we chose to focus on going in more current times and where people who are alive now, you know, would have experienced. People like my mom and um, Miss Regina, you know, they would have experienced, they would have been there and things like that. Like it's not so far pushed back to where it just seems like that long ago, even though we know it wasn't. But it's easier to focus on things that have happened more currently Even talking about redlining and gentrification and things like that, you know, those are more recent topics. And that's why we chose to focus on that, because we wanted to expand further past um, Jim Crow in those areas in the 60s and 70s.
0: Um, We also have a message from John on Facebook. He says, I'm 51. um, Whoops. And when I was, we were talking about slavery, civil rights movement and key accomplishments by African-Americans, such as various inventions or movements it was fairly complete considering it was complete, competed with other topics under the American history umbrella. Um, Regina, do you try to, how do you balance history of everyone and history of people um, of color?
3: The balance really is that we're all, you know, it's all a part of our history. I think for us, I'm, you know, our culture is going to proceed just because it's more impactful. For us, however, you know everything is important for our children to be learning, um, at, at least in our, our our household. And so, we just know that when there's something else that they need to know, we it that's outside of that, we we just make those adjustments there.
0: Mm-hmm. But maintaining balance is is critical. Um, and Regina, this pilgrimage that's taken to Montgomery, Alabama, um, is that something that? 90Forward continues to do, to offer, and to encourage students to participate in? Yes.
1: So we take different groups uh, to Montgomery, and that is a trip that we sponsor because we believe the education is important. And so for anyone who is interested, we will have a trip for students coming up in June. So anyone who is interested in going on that trip, please email me at regina at 90Forward.org. That's open to high school students and we request middle school students as long as they can handle the the responsibility of some independence as well as the topic and really engage in this information thoroughly and wholeheartedly. And so that is a trip that is fully funded. So there's no cost to uh, participate in that trip for students. We just want to make sure that they have that education, as well as, you know, um, encourage them to come back and be better citizens in their community.
0: Well, it's a great project. Great work that you've done. Thank you, Regina newkirk Ritchie, Zuri and Ariana Randolph. Thanks so much for the history lesson. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Anne, for having us.
0: And stick around. In just a minute, St. John's County Sheriff Rob Hardwick talks to us about school safety. And we're back. I'm joined now by Nancy Heburn, School Crossing Guard Supervisor, Wayne Smith, School Crossing Guard Coordinator Assistant, and St. Johns County Sheriff Robert Hardwick. Welcome. Good
5: morning, Good morning and thank you for having us.
0: Thanks to all of you for being here. Sheriff, we hear a lot about improving school safety. Um, all too often that seems to focus on something like a school shooting. St. Johns County's obviously been very fortunate in that regard, but safety is a big issue.
5: It is. And of course, here in the St. Johns County Sheriff's Office with our partnership with the St. Johns County School District. And of course, horrific incidents happening like, of course, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, where legislature has changed. Like, uh, you know, now, of course, we have, of course, under Alyssa's Law, we have the Syntegic Program, you know, here in St. Johns County. Uh, so we're doing things a little bit different down there with our Real-Time Intelligence Center, our license plate readers, just for trying to tech these for children, you know. But the most important is our School Crossing Guard Program, which adds that element of to and from school. So in St. John's County, of course, you know, we have 68 uh, school crossing guards. Uh, we have supervision, of course, on top of that. We have two supervisors, and assistant supervisor. Um, and those men and women are just so incredible. I mean, they, they actually have uh, 20 posts. Uh, most of those are elementary schools. Some of those are middle schools and K through eights. And then additionally, um, uh, with that being said, um, they have 98 posts to get these kids to and from. So as being one of the fastest growing counties, of course, in the state, uh, we got to protect that 54,000 plus children.
0: And crossing guards are really, they're kind of central in terms of, they're almost like a first line. They're having direct contact with students. They can sometimes spot things if, you know, they see something amiss. I mean, they're really kind of integral to that um connection between students and the school administrators.
5: You know, that's one thing, too, of course, again, with that legislature change, too, as well, you know, with a youth resource deputy sheriff now in every one of our public schools in St. John's County, um, this is another added element of eyes and ears, of course, that can, you know, that are familiar with these kids, familiar with those normal vehicles that come to and from the schools, and they know who these parents are, the parents know who they are. So, again, it's just another layer of protection of just, again, additional eyes and ears for the St. John's County to protect our children and our parents.
0: Nancy Hebern, um, as the school crossing guard supervisor, supervisor for St. Johns County, um, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Why is it that the um, the school patrol work is under the sheriff's office? I often think of it. I mean, I think of being as a school patrol when I was in you know elementary right. school. Um, it's a different line of work now.
6: This um, is a paid position through the sheriff's office. Um, help me. Oh, that's okay. <laughs>
5: So, I mean, so, so you know these are the school crossing guards, of course, in St. Johns yeah. County, they're part time positions. They make eighteen dollars, I think, in two cents an hour. Oh, we we upped it. That's right. Since so I've been the sheriff, super excited, by the way. <laughs> we upped that amount. Sorry, go ahead, Nancy.
0: Um, and why is it why is it under the umbrella of the sheriff's office? I guess is what I'm wondering. I mean, it, I I think of you know for the
6: most part they are under the umbrella of of law enforcement. So there are only a few, um, eight, uh school crossing guard programs that are not under law enforcement. Interesting. Yeah. And so
0: is it difficult? I know you say that the the pay rate just went up, but is it difficult to
6: recruit crossing guards? You know, it's a great part-time job mm-hmm. um, for either stay at home moms or dads, retirees. It's a great part-time job. You're not going to get rich off of it, but It's a great part-time job that gives you time in between shifts to do your normal shopping and things like that, laundry and things like things that you want to do. So Wayne Smith, what is the role of a crossing guard?
7: Basically is to
5: get the cool kids to school and from school in a safe manner, educate them on the proper procedures of crossing so that later on in life they have that knowledge to cross safely in the crosswalk.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you've got a very rapidly growing school district. I was looking at some numbers um, from 2010, the student population of St. Johns County it, at that time it was 30,000 and now it's more than 50,000. That's a 65% increase. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheriff, has the budget kept up with that?
5: Yeah. So, you know, with the school crossing guard program, of course, we actually fund that independently through the board of county commissioners in our regular general fund. Um, What the school district does in St. Johns County is they pay 70 percent of our youth resource deputy sheriff's um, compensation and benefits. But as far as the school crossing guard program, which is just over about about a million point two million dollar budget a year. um, That's something we believe in. That's us providing a service back to our community again trying to get those kids uh, safely to and from school. So, so far, so good. We've been keeping up with it. As a matter of fact, I was at a focus group meeting yesterday with the St. John's County School District where they're projecting another 40%, or 47% increase, of course, in their population, of course. We're just not slowing down. But with that being said, and to, to say what uh, Supervisor Heburn said, I mean, we've kept up with recruiting and retention in our school crossing guards, which is so unique. There's no benefits. They work under 29 hours, of course, with the federal labor laws. Um, so they have no benefits. They come in the morning time they get these ki- these kids to school at 98 post they all go home for a few hours and come back out again in the afternoon to get these kids from school back of uh, course home
0: and it's a it's a funny shift because you're working kind of mornings and evenings yep. at the same post is that right exactly um exactly. but it's just like 3 hours a day if you're only working a
6: single post correct so correct. It, it is something that could be um single school yes if you work a single school it's like 3 hours a day yeah When?
5: yeah it's it's 2.9 hours but for a single post and <laughs> 5.8 for a double post.
6: So why are you
0: trying to get the word out today about hiring?
5: Because, um, although it's a great part-time job, um, it's still, we still need, uh, we still have a little bit of turnover every year. Mm-hmm. And so therefore we're trying to get a bu- uh, ahead of the game so that we are not have vacant positions.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it, um, a job that is, does it have physical requirements? Is it a, job that has danger associated with it? I mean, obviously, there's
6: traffic is a tough thing, right? Sure. Uh, there's I will say, yeah, it to... has dangers. You're dodging traffic all mm-hmm. the time. So do you have to be physically agile? Are there age restrictions? No age restrictions. Not at all. Um, but you do have to be able to hold your hands above your head and stand out in the streets um, for an, an extended period of time, about yeah. a half an hour each post.
0: How do you train um, your safety patrol officers for things like road rage, which, I mean, obviously people who are backed up in traffic at a school on their way somewhere, it can get a little bit hairy.
5: So, so there was actually an act back in 1992 that was actually passed that basically mandated a, gu- a guideline per se for uh, school crossing guards. It's kind of managed per se under the Florida Department of Transportation, FDOT. But again, that's the managing um, uh, entity where it oversees the actual training guidelines that, you know, supervisors or heat burn and her, her crew actually put on for all the individual people. They do have direct access, of course, to the St. Johns County Sheriff's Office. We still have our deputy sheriffs in the area. I mean, so, again, we provide that extra layer of protection, too, on top, of of course, our school crossing guards.
0: And what's the application process like? Is a background check required? And how do people, I mean, if they're interested after
6: listening to this, how do they reach out? We Reach out through www.sjso.org. Go into the careers um, little App is it? Yep, yeah, yep. <laughs> and fill out paperwork there. um If you need to, I think HR will help you fill out a form as well if you don't have access to a computer. So
5: the, um. the other thing, and I'd like to add to on top of that too. You know, St. John's County has four new K through eight school under construction. We're opening two K through eights this school year in August. We have another K through eight opening next school year, and then one the following year. So we wow. just have to stay ahead of these posts because next year it's going to be a lot more posts in ninety eight. So we're trying to stay ahead of these of what we actually need and what our demand on personnel is going to be.
0: And you see that growth. Um, I know that you were saying particular areas of need are in South St. John's County, Keterlinas area, Palencia, um, some in the northwest. And it kind of maps pretty well with the growth that the county's experiencing. So that really is an issue, obviously, not just for schools, Sheriff, but for you and for everybody that lives there. <laughs>
5: Sure. You know, St. John's County has grown to the north. I mean, it's grown the entire county, but of course, a majority of our population and growth, of course, is the north. So that's where two of these schools are actually these K-8s are in the north. So it seems like our recruiting is a little bit more difficult in the south just because of just mere numbers and population. So absolutely. But we're looking for, of course, uh, we try to put them as close as we can to their homes. Uh, but of course, we're looking for them all over the place. So we appreciate, of course, the uh, the applications okay. in the end.
0: Well, I uh, so appreciate you all being here. Um, Nancy Hebern, Wayne Smith, Sheriff Hardwick, it was a a pleasure to have all of you here.
5: We appreciate you having us on. Have a great day everybody. Sure.
0: Take care. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a minute. It's a very special Leap Night of Music with Atypical Arts. Thank you. Welcome back. The Atypical Arts Music Series returns to the stage with singer-songwriter and social justice advocate Morley. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Nice to meet you. We're also joined by Chris Bruce, who's Morley's husband and music mate. Hey, Chris. (laughs) Hello. Thanks for being here. So the two of you are performing tonight at the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Riverside, alongside another superstar, Cellist uh, Dave Egger. Dave Egger, yes. yeah. Um, Morley, this is your first time returning to Jacksonville, I think, since 2017?
8: Yeah, it's been a minute. It's nice to be back.
0: It's nice to have you. So what have you been up to?
8: Well, you know, not much, just the pandemic and uh, <laughs> the creation of three other projects. We have a children's album called Story of the Sky, which is very um, much focused on our inter-belonging, our interdependence with Mother Earth and each other. And it's a various artist album, has musicians and, musicians from all over the world, talking about our interdependence, called Story of the Sky. I highly recommend it. It is part of curriculum for a few schools now in New York. Wow. And um, it's it's really great. And, um, and a new album on its way called Bloom. And very much excited to share also a song today, later on, um, from an album called Borderless Lullabies.
0: And yeah. you, in addition to releasing records, you're engaged in a lot of conflict resolution work, um, particularly with teens in conflict zones in, yeah. here and, and abroad. Tell us a little bit about that work and how you came to that. Well,
8: most of my work has been with um, through the Auburn Seminary, Theological Seminary in New York, uh, with an organization called Face to Face, Faith to Faith. And we work with youth from Palestine and Israel, North and Ireland and South Africa. And um, it's been a couple of years since I've been working with them, but um, now I'm working mostly with uh, survivors of human trafficking, And a lot of people are trafficked as a result of the climate emergency we're in and um, because of war. So I use art and music as a tool for dialogue facilitation and healing.
0: And how did that first become something that you were engaged in? It's a difficult line of work.
8: Um, I think I became engaged in it because it saved my life as a youth, as a young person. I wrote myself back into life every day when I was on my own as a young person in my teens. And um later on when I grew up I realized I was doing I was actually um, <laughs> I was actually doing art therapy for myself by writing on the side of my sneakers and writing on the back of the bus and paper bags, whatever I could write on, I was writing to my feelings and I was writing myself into the next day. I really believe like James Baldwin says, when we can describe an emotion, something we're going through, when we can describe that, it no longer has power over us. But if we can't describe what's actually happening within our minds and hearts. Um, it can it it has power over us, and I think it leads to conflict within conflict in society and in family, and in, in society, and and ultimately conflict in the world. And um, I think that art and self expression and collaboration uh, hold the medicine for these times. I'm really happy to be back in Jacksonville to, to do this show with, with with Dave Egar and Chris Bruce because we are going to be improv- you know, improvising collaborating together with the, everyone in the space as well. You know, the audience is, is part, it's a share, it's not a show. The um, audience can lay back and, re- and relax and enjoy it, but it really is a, a welcoming into collaboration.
0: And people should know, you've performed for people like the Dalai Lama and Nelson Mandela. I mean, your work really has brought you into some rarefied spaces. Yes. Um, Chris, your musical career has been similarly stunning. I mean, you've toured with Tom Waits, Alanis Morissette, Sheryl Crow, Billy Preston. I mean, it really has been, and I I just kind of have a little fanboy freak out just talking to you about (laughs) some of that, but is that enjoyable? Is that stressful? Is that...
4: uh, Oh, no, I I deeply enjoy my work and and I'm just uh, very
8: grateful for the career that I have, you know, just to be able to work in music and work with the caliber of musicians and artists that I work with is, uh, you know, it's a treasure. Yeah.
0: And Dave Agar, who's the third part of this um, trio tonight, Um, he's also played, he's a a cellist, he's played, um, done arrangements for people like Coldplay and John Legend. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a classical prodigy. Yeah. Um, so the three of you really are quite a musical triumvirate. I mean, (laughs) you've got a lot of, um, skill and praise. Um, Thank
8: you. I I just want to also just say that Dave and Chris and I started the Borderless Lullaby Project together as a response to children being separated at the border by ice. And so... That, or, that album, Borderless Lullabies, is available online only through Bandcamp. If you type in Borderless Lullabies, you'll find it. Yo-Yo Ma is on it, Meryl Streep is on it, yeah. um, Liz Wright, Jacqueline Woodson, like so many wonderful artists contributed. And all of the proceeds go to KIND, Kids in Need of Defense. It's a pro bono legal defense fund. All the lawyers go and represent children, unaccompanied minors in court and help them to reunite with their families.
0: And so this is really a money to raise, raising money for their legal defense.
8: Yes. So it's called, I, I love talking about it, Borderless Lullabies. And Dave Edgar, who played, was playing with us tonight, the three of us really started the first seeds of that album. It's and it's, it's become a very successful fundraiser, but I have to keep talking about it because it's not on Spotify. It's not on those like, like kind of standard platforms. It's only on Bandcamp. And the money goes directly to kind. Like it's what's great for me. So I don't have to worry about like, you know, figuring it out at the end of the, every every quarter. It just goes right to them.
0: Well, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back with a performance from Morley and Chris Bruce. Um, we'll see you on the other side of the break and we'll have a have a little tune.
8: Thank you. Great, thank you.
5: Congaree and Pen, dedicated to agriculture and culinary endeavors. Offering field-to-fork dining and outdoor experiences on over 300 acres. Sip, dine, explore. Information at CongareeandPen.com. LifeSouth Community Blood Centers, providing blood and patient services to the local hospitals, serving patients in this community. Donating blood with LifeSouth helps save lives. More at LifeSouth.org to find a blood drive near you. On the next Florida Roundup, ah, the windows are down, the music is playing, the open road. But often in Florida, the roads are clogged with traffic and bad driving. One study ranks drivers in Jacksonville and Tampa among the worst. Another called I-4 the most dangerous highway in America. A new bill would ban cruising for miles in the left lane. So how would you solve Florida's bad and dangerous driving? Email us radio at thefloridaroundup.org. This is Tom Hudson. Join us Fridays noon until 1. Scott Tong. Deep fakes, political spin, election denial, find them all under disinformation and former federal prosecutor Barbara McQuaid worries it could undermine the American system.
6: Truth matters in our democracy and we need to
0: recommit ourselves to truth.
5: That's next time on Here and Now.
4: Today at 2 on WJCT News 89.9.
1: The school library became a healing space after the tragedy at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, thanks largely to a four-legged furry therapist named River. The therapy dog and her owner, the school librarian, show up every day. Diana Haneski joins a panel of librarians for the latest in our A series. This time, we ask a librarian. They answer your questions next time on 1A.
3: Today, starting at 10 on WJCT
0: News 89.9. And we're back. I'm joined again by Morley and Chris Bruce. Um, we're going to have a song in a minute. Morley, you're performing tonight. Um, you've been described to performers as varied as Annie Lennox and Portishead and Sade. How do you describe your sound?
8: Oh, I really appreciate that. Um, I, I like to think of us as we're global Americana. Our, you know, in my influences range from, you know, folk artists from the United States to folk artists from Argentina to... Peru to Mali, I just, I love to hear the story of the people through different, um, even if I don't understand the language that they're speaking in, I can, you know, I I just love to hear the the messaging of the people, the folk music, and we say global because of that, and also Americana because of the, you know, America, the Americana sound is actually the world. So it's a global, global sound, Mm -hmm. (laughs) folk soul.
0: And tonight, uh, what do you think people will be hearing? Tell us a little bit about what we're going to listen to now.
8: Well, right now is a song called Follow the Sound, which is a dream um, of a dream, a dream of a child. A dream I had at the border of El Paso when I went uh, for an action there with V, formerly known as E. Ensler, for an action um, in front of the headquarters, ICE headquarters. Um, And this song came um, while I was there. It's a dream of a child talking to his mother, who he's he's, dream, he's dreaming that he's speaking with his mother and he's at the border wondering where she is.
0: All right, well, we've got a song here uh, with Morley and Chris Bruce. Let's hear a little.
9: Mama, you said if I ever got lost in a cry Happy don't know where I am, don't know where you are, so I begin to follow, follow the side. my feet Little soles of my feet they the drum of your heart
0: Thanks, Morley and Bruce, so much for being here. That was just amazing. You can see them tonight along with cellist Dave Egger at the Church of the Good Shepherd in Riverside. And tickets are available for purchase at the door. That's our program. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future conversations. And if you missed anything, you can catch the rebroadcast at 8 o'clock tonight or find today's show at WJCT.org. The executive producer of First Coast Connect is David Luckin. Our producer is Stacey Bennett. Kathy Waterman is our associate producer and our director is Brady Corum. Join us again Friday when we explore the week's top stories with our team of local news enthusiasts. I'm Ann Schindler. You've been listening to First Coast Connect on WJCT News 89.9.
9: Support
7: for First Coast Connect is provided by Baptist Health and the North Florida TPO.